Morning, everybody. Uh, we're back at it, man. Back in the Word. I hope you've had a good week. The holidays are starting to drift into the past now, so maybe that's uh, getting things back to routine for you. Maybe that's good. Maybe it's not, although I don't think any of us really know what routine means anymore. <laughs> so um, today we're going to jump back in the Word like we've been doing. Uh, grab a Bible if you've got it. Uh, turn to Exodus and uh, we're going to go back in. A uh, quick, uh, as I mention every week, let me say quickly, this is not church. This is me teaching the Word. Uh, we're unpacking it in a way that we can kind of um, see the Lord through His own through His Word and then kind of bring that together. So tonight we'll end up talking about that. Church will be tonight. It'll be at our home. Um, it's just a Bible study, small group environment. We'll have a little bit of munchies, have some coffee, hang out a little while, uh, pray, pretty uh, intently and then jump into the word so i'd uh, love for you to come we we'd love for you to be here we're in tempe arizona so if you're in the east valley and you want to come hit us up online and we'll tell you how to get here you can find us on various social medias you can email us you can find our website molly's been working on it pretty hard i, I don't know if it's uh, finished yet or not she's been doing a lot of revisions to it so i think it may not be up but Pretty sure it is. But either way, there's the information so you can hit us up, figure out where we are, or we'll tell you where we are, and uh, love for you to come hang out, spend some time with us. We are all about making disciples. That's where our heart is. That's what we do. That's what we want you to be a part of. If you're a believer and you're wanting to come join us or, or be part of what we do, then that means you. When I say we are about making disciples, I don't mean me as pastor. I don't mean church leaders. I mean we as the church making disciples is what we do. You want to know what we mean by that, what all that's about? Come on. We will definitely show you. So anyway, we're going back into the Word, going back into the series we were doing on Is God Among Us? Not one of us, like the old song, but is He among us? Is He is He here? Is He involved in our life? Um and I'm not going to retrace our steps. The videos are there. The podcast is there. You can go back in whichever way you want to do it and listen to it. But today we're going to move on. We're going to talk about is God among us a guardian angel or as an angel, so to speak. Um, guardian angels. Some say, yes, they exist. Some say, no, they don't exist. There's evidence and argument for both. Uh, but I, I want to look at when God himself is that angel. I, am I saying God is an angel? No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that any more than I'm saying he's just a man when he wrestled with Jacob. We've already talked about that. I'm not saying that he's uh, just a child like we did the past few weeks when he's born in a manger. I'm not saying that he is just an angel. But what I am saying is that there's clear evidence, especially in the Old Testament, of him being called or described as an angel. We've already looked at several with Abraham, Hagar, Moses at the burning bush was the last one we looked at before we started the holidays. And we're going to see him again being called this or described this way in the, the weeks ahead. But uh, anyway, the theme that we've been sitting on, just a reminder, Revelation 21, verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they'll be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So let me read the passage here from Exodus that we're going to look at today, and then we'll jump into it. So if you got your Bible, 
whip it open and go to Exodus chapter 14. And yeah, for the record, I know I put these verses up there, and that's great. But man, it's important that you have a Bible. Whenever we get the privilege of being back together in public person, I'm really going to be pushing. I want you to have your Bible in your hand. It's important that you can hold it. It's his word. It's important that you can see it and hold it and look at it. And that other people can see it in your hand and maybe feel convicted or uh, like they have the opportunity to, whatever, to approach you and say, hey, help me understand this, what you're reading. Okay, so uh, that's a whole other thing. But, but anyway, Exodus chapter 14, I'm going to read verse 19 here. It says, Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the one... Or excuse me, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. It is awesome, Lord. I thank you for the privilege of being able to study it, to read it, to know it, to have it, to be trusted with it. Uh, I don't ever want to take your words. They're your words, not mine. So, Lord, even though I'm unpacking this as best as your Holy Spirit gives me wisdom to do, I pray, God, that it's still your voice that speaks, and uh, I need to hear it too, Lord, especially right now, Lord. This is one that, even as I've been writing it, has been breaking my heart, and and it's been one I really need to hear. And uh, so, so God, even as my mouth is open, I pray that that your word is heard, and I ask it in Christ's name, amen. I remember a picture uh, on the wall that was uh, in my bedroom when I was a kid. And uh, my my parents hung it there. Obviously, I was a little kid. I didn't hang it there. But uh, it was actually a pretty well-known picture. And you might have seen it. It's on a lot of children's rooms, from what I understand. But I know it's in a lot of churches, especially older churches, in their nurseries and stuff like that. It's a, a very bright, white angel. Uh, looks very human. Kind of floating over a couple of children who are crossing a bridge. I'll show you a picture of what it looks like, and you can see it. Whoops, that's not it. That's not it. That's it right there. So this angel kind of floating around right above the kids, and um, pretty wild-looking picture. However, as sweet as this is, uh, is this what you think of when you think of a situation that might call for a guardian angel? Is that what you're, that what you're thinking of, that right there? A flowing creek and a small wooden bridge and just a little delicate barefoot and across the serenity there. <laughs> that what you think of. When I consider needing an angel to cover my situation, it's a bit more severe. You know what I'm saying? It's a bit more severe. Uh, but are we selling ourselves short seeking an angel? Are we selling ourselves short on just looking for an angel? You know, what about God himself? Would you not rather turn to him? Would you not, uh, if you're going to ask, would you not rather have his deliverance and his protection rather than the angel? Is your situation big enough that you need the top on this one? You know what I'm saying? Is it is it tough enough that you need more? You need him to handle this personally. You, you, you need him to take care of it. Does he do that? Is he among us as a guardian? 
a guardian angel, however you want to see it. Is he among us that way as a guardian? And so when we look at this today, we may find ourselves by faith in times where we're following God into places that make no sense and seem hopeless. And it's my prayer, and I mean this for me today too, more so than you possibly know. I mean this for me too, that, that we're able in these moments to depend, to depend on his protection and to anticipate his deliverance. That we're in these moments where we find ourselves feeling hopeless or lost or whatever, even though we're following him, it's still a confusing time to be able to depend on his protection and anticipate his deliverance. So we're going to look at this in Exodus, and here's what I want you to remember. A quick, easy outline that God leads us when the path isn't clear. God leads us when the path isn't clear. That uh, God defends us when we're overwhelmed. That God delivers us when... Hope is lost. All right, so the background here, you may know it already, but God's people were slaves in Egypt for nearly 400 years. God uh, met Moses in the wilderness, the burning bush. We've talked about it actually recently. So the burning bush, bush in the wilderness, God tells uh, Moses, I chose you to go back to Egypt, tell the Pharaoh that you're going to let my people go. So he goes back and tells Pharaoh to release the people. Pharaoh refuses. And that begins this series of ten plagues on Egypt that were sent by God. Uh, there was water to blood. There was frogs. There was gnats. There was flies, livestock uh, dying, uh, boils, hail, um, locusts, and then darkness, and then death, the Passover, but death. And, and, and the Pharaoh finally lets the people leave. Maybe a million slaves here are are released to leave. So first of all, look at this text. Go back to chapter 13, verse 17. And God leads us uh, when the path is not clear. Watch this. God leads us when the path is not clear. Look at verse 17 of chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. So God is not taking them the simplest way. Let me show you what that looks like in a slide here, if I can find it right quick. I clicked it. There we go. So this is the way they were supposed to go, or well, maybe would have gone. These are this is a trade route or a pathway that went from the city of Ramses, which is likely where they were. And it went right along the Mediterranean Sea there and went straight into the land of Canaan. And where you see Gaza at would be where the Philistines are that, that the Lord referred to there in what I just read. So that would have been the fast way, very obviously, to go right up that already familiar route, although they would have run into all kinds of Egyptian soldiers and whatever else going that way and whatever people group might not like them. And so there's a potential for war, and God knows that war would have turned them back. There's a lot there that I'm not trying to camp on right now. I'm more pointing out the fact that God knew that there were reasons why he did not take them this simple, fastest way. Instead, he took them this way. You'll see in this one here, I just drew the line, but he took them kind of down that way, kind of the opposite way, and more or less, God ran them into a complete dead end. All right, ran them into a dead end. And it, look at verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in, notice it says in there, in 
not as, but in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night, in, not as, in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. So they didn't have to stop. They could continue moving. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not, love this, did not depart from before the people and the word before is from the face of. So I love that. It's the idea that God was in their face. They could see him clear, plain as day, day and night. He never left. They had complete security and they could see day and night. He's right there. He's right there. He's right there. The cloud here was a pillar, it says. Maybe you're, maybe you think of high stacked, um, you know, thunderheads. If you've ever been in a plane and you've, You've flown really high and there been a storm you flew over, yet you could see the clouds stacked up even still. I've been through some of those. looks like you're flying through mountains and kind of weaving through them, but they're thunderheads stacked and you're already at 20 whatever thousand feet. So kind of maybe like that, this stacked thunderhead doesn't tell us exactly, but maybe. It also probably provided shade for them. Imagine this, that the cloud is not simply just because he chose a cloud. He could have chose a stick. You know, he could do anything he wanted. But the cloud would have also provided shade for him. The fire by night was maybe lightning within the cloud because the cloud's still there. You'll see that in a minute. But maybe there's fire in that cloud is what they're describing. That could just be literal. The appearance of fire there could have meant lightning. I remember there being a tornado when I lived in Chattanooga many, many years ago. Uh, and I was driving home from work as it was coming through. I was a, it was oblivious to the fact that there was a tornado. Uh, but I knew there was a very obvious storm. And the lightning, I'll never forget this, the lightning was so severe that even at night, uh, I had, I was, we lived in the country where I was. And so I had my lights turned off on my truck. There was nobody else on the road, but I had my lights turned off on the truck. It wasn't raining, it was just lightning. But the lightning was so consistent that it completely lit up the sky at all times. Totally lit sky like daytime, and it was just because of continuous lightning. Uh, kind of freaky thinking on it, but maybe that's what's going on here. Ultimately, it's a picture of the Shekinah glory of God. Big, uh, big word in the Greek, or Greek, in the Hebrew language there, Shekinah. It's, it's His presence. It's His glory. You know, what's, how do we describe that? Well, that's the word they would use. Ezekiel, many years later, would describe seeing God's glory. And listen to how he describes this Shekinah glory. Ezekiel 1 verse 4, he says, As I look, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud, pillared cloud kind of thing with brightness around it, and fire flashes forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. Or you might think of the, uh, well, I once heard it described as that, Intensity of light when the sun reflects off of a chrome bumper on a car or something. Like that's what he means by that gleaming metal. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's a perfect description of what the Israelites were following. Or you can think of it too as a torch. It's kind of that idea too. That God is this torch that is being held out front. So that it's almost like a leader who's carrying a torch in front of us so you can see where you're going. It's lighting things, lighting things up so we can see where we're going, but it's also, uh, providing a way so we know who we're following. We can keep our eye on the guy we're following. So how do we do this now? How do we, let's make this practical for us now. How do we do this now? 
Man, there's one verse in your Bible, easy to memorize, ought to already be in your heart. If it's not, plug it in. And it answers this question, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's what he's saying here. It couldn't be a better picture that in a sense to read his word is to follow the cloud. To read his word, to know his word is to see the fire and to follow the fire. So the Pharaoh and the army, though, ultimately comes after them. And then the people freak out. All right. And they go crazy. They're up against the sea. On one side, the desert, the mountains on the other, you know, and, and out of the setting sun, the shape starts to appear. Chariots and horses are starting to come. The ground begins to maybe rattle a little bit, almost like when a train is coming. And, 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 and maybe the people are watching this and they can't, can't believe their eyes. Like, is this, is that, is that what it looks like? Is that what it looks like coming? This, where are we going to go? What's going to happen? Moses says in, Exodus 14, verse 13, and I'm moving through this story quick, but that's okay. Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Have faith, hold still, and watch, watch, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll never see again. They're going to be gone forever. Die. Look at this, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. It means be faithful. The Lord will fight for you. Just be quiet and trust him. He will fight for you. So that brings me to the next point. God defends us when we're overwhelmed. Now before we hate on Israel here in this moment of doubt. And yes, they saw the plagues. Yes, they saw the miracles in Egypt. But now they're stranded against the desert with the sea behind them. And absolutely nowhere to go. And these armies of horses are charging in their direction. Alright? Chariots and horses charging at them. And besides that, think about the questions they already had. Think about the things that you don't typically see in the Bible mentioned, but surely they would have had. Like, why are we not taking the direct route? I know we're, you know, we're free and all, but why are we going the long way? Or where are we going, Moses? Uh, uh, why is God leading us to a dead end? There's nothing out here but the sea. Where are we going? Or here's a big one. What are we supposed to eat? Ultimately, they did ask that one. Think about that for a minute now. If you just said, hey, I'm free tomorrow, and you walk out the door, and you just start walking towards the desert. We live in we live in a, a desert here in Arizona. I can just start walking south of Tempe, and I'll go straight into the Gila River uh, Reservation, which opens right up into the de open desert. I'm just going to start walking into that? With what? Even if I carried food, how long is that supposed to last? You know, uh, where, how are we supposed to survive? We don't have any money. I don't have any money. If I had money, I got nothing to buy. We're in a desert. I have no job. I have no garden. I have no grocery store. I have no shade from the sun. Think about the things they would have already been struggling with now that the freedom is kind of wore off for a minute and reality is maybe starting to set in. And now, how do we fight the most powerful army on the earth? We're following you, God. Look at uh, verse 19, Exodus 14. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host, the one who was leading the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. 
And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. I love that word, stood. It's like saying, I got your back. Let me just stand right here and dare them. That's the way I think of that. It doesn't say he just came back and just kept his eyes open. He came back and stood there. Come on, boys. <laughs> the way I think of it. Uh, verse 20, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Talking about one army coming near the other army. Darkness coming near light. They're both there. The angel moves behind, notice that, and the cloud follows. They're not the same, but they're linked. We already talked about that in chapter 13, verse 21. The Lord is in the cloud, and the Lord is in the cloud. So this angel is being referred to as capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, Jehovah, is in the cloud, this angel. And as the angel moves, the cloud moves, all right? And when the Lord goes behind them, it's around sundown and the dark of night is coming. But God creates even more darkness. Maybe there's night and fog here, like the darkness of the cloud in the nighttime as well. Like a fog that's covering them on the Egyptian side. But there's light in the midst of that darkness and the dark of night. There is light on Israel's side, I'll give you two other translations but just to get a good picture of how they read. I'm using the ESV. But the NIV reads verse 20 this way. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Or the King James, or the New King James says in verse 20, So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all night long. It reminds me of the plague of darkness. Do you remember that one? That was the uh, ninth plague, I think. It was next to last. In the ninth plague, the plague of darkness, it's in Exodus chapter 10, verse 22. It says there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. Some uh, translations read into it as a darkness that can be felt, which is wild to think about. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. So that's how you know it was a supernatural thing. It was not just an eclipse because the people of Israel still had light. So you have this plague of darkness. Then the next plague would be death, the Passover. Well, the same thing's happening here. You have this darkness. The next thing that's going to follow that darkness is death. Revelation of God is like this, guys. The understanding of who God is or the revelation of seeing and knowing him is the same way. To those who won't believe, they can't see him at all. God is darkness. He's emptiness. He's a waste of time. He's an imagination. It's nothing. It's just darkness. But to those who believe, who know him, listen, he is the light of salvation. He is the light of salvation. He is light in darkness you know what i'm saying for the israelites here god himself has become their wall of defense now he's not just like the great wall of china which was built to keep mongolia out he's not just that 
He's a wall of protection, but he's he's a veil of darkness on the one side, and he's a provider of light on the other. He's defense and offense. The point here is he's the one who controls the whole situation. He's not just stalling the enemy here. He is controlling everything. And that brings me to the last thing here. God delivers us when hope is lost. Verse 21 As that's going on, Moses stretches out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea. Moses didn't. The Lord did. God God led him to do this. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind, which is a cool thing uh, to note there. I'll come to that in a second. All night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Uh, the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Some say it was a, it was a dry creek bed or something silly like that or the reed sea. They, I'm not going into all this except to say that the water is a wall to them. This is a sea they are crossing, an ocean in a sense. The waters are walled up on either side. It is, it's a, the cool thing here, though, is there's a picture of the Trinity at work in this deliverance. You have the angels standing guard. It's almost like Christ here. The angels standing guard. You have the wind that's blowing and providing away. That wind is a picture, I would argue, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described with the same word, spirit, breath of God, wind. They're all ruach. It's a Hebrew word. Um, so this is the wind, east wind, but it is the same word that could be spirit. So I think there's a picture of it there anyway. That's east wind, that spirit maybe is coming from the Lord, it says. The reason it notes it's east there is because the wind normally travels north to south there. But now it's coming from the east. This is a significant change. It's different. It's not a normal wind. So you have the Father in the sense that he's sending this wind. You have this wind in the sense of the Holy Spirit providing the way. And you have uh, the angel, I would argue, as a picture of Christ who's standing in the way of this darkness and death uh, that's coming on his people. They were delivered from death, his people here. That's salvation, man. That's salvation. And they only had to watch and anticipate by faith what God would do. That's grace. That's grace. They did nothing to earn it. God provided. Our salvation is the same way. We face death for our sins. Guys, we face death for our sins. And death charges at us. It's coming. None of us know when it's going to get here, but we all know it's coming. And with the sun setting on our lives and darkness charging at us, Jesus, God the Son, the angel, whatever you want to call it here, Jesus steps between us and death steps between us and death jesus accepts the attack of death he died for us on the cross and the holy spirit sent from the father also raised jesus from the dead seals us who belong to him seals us he's the same holy spirit that's going to give us life all right and though death may come Most certainly will, unless the Lord comes first. Death will come, but God opens the sea behind us that we can cross over safely into his kingdom to eternal life because Jesus stands in the way. But in the moment, man, when death is staring at you, I feel it, when death is staring at you, 
or when whatever it is you're dealing with, the stakes are seriously high. The battle seems impossible. You're wiped out. You've had all you can stand. And believe me, I'm feeling the weight of this right now. It's been that kind of week for me. And uh, some of you know what I'm talking about, just being a little transparent even though I'm on camera. It's been that kind of week for me. So this one is really speaking to me. In those moments, God not only provides a way, but he delivers. He delivers. When Israel moves into the sea, at, at some point that cloud lifts and comes and rejoins them as they're moving. And in doing so, it releases Egypt. And Egypt, these chariots come straight into the sea after them. Look at verse 23 of Exodus 14. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud, who's with Israel now, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. So he has moved over with the people of Israel again, and he looks down as Egypt is pursuing, and he throws a panic on them. Maybe they start freaking out. My goodness, how are we going to do this? Wait a minute. This is not possible. What's going on? What's about to happen? And they their chariot wheels get clogged up, and it says, uh, the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. They know that God is fighting for them. For his own people. They know that God is fighting against them. Then the Lord said to Moses. Stretch out your hand over the sea. That the water may come back upon the Egyptians. Upon their chariots. Upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it. Look the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. God did it. God destroyed them. God closed the sea on them. Moses was just. The tool that God used to execute his plan. But it is God who did it. Verse 28. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the hosts of the Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on. On dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. So perhaps they were still in the sea walking as it's closing behind them on the Egyptians who are coming. doesn't say that they were out and safely looking back down. They're still crossing, and God is closing the waters behind them uh, on their enemy. I don't have to de detail a lot there. You can see the picture. But later on, when Israel gets to Mount Sinai, Moses says something else about this angel. He's speaking for God, and it is powerful. What he says. So I want you to see that as we finish up here. Exodus 23 verse 20. God said to, the, to Moses at Mount Sinai. Behold I send an angel before you. To guard you on your way. And to bring you to the place that I've prepared. To the promised land. Pay careful attention to him. And obey his voice. Do not rebel against him. For he will not pardon your transgressions. You're talking about the angel here. For my name is in him. Look at what he's saying about this angel. Verse 22. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. It's salvation. He says, pardon your transgressions. That's forgiveness of sins. That's forgiveness of sins. And it's coming from this angel. 
It brings to my mind Luke chapter 5 when the, this, uh, Jesus is in this house and he's mobbed by people wanting to hear him preach and these men come with their friend and take the roof off in order to lower one of their crippled friends out of faith that Jesus will heal him. And Jesus says in verse 20 of Luke chapter 5 when this happens, he says, when he saw their faith, their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, he ends up healing him, but right here he says, your sins are forgiven. And look at what verse 21 says. The scribes and the Pharisees say, whoa, 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 whoa. Who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Amen to that. That is this angel who is present there, who is with them. The one who forgives sins. You know, our greatest enemy is sins. Our own personal desires, our lust, our selfishness, our anger, our doubt in, 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 a, in a bitter way, our bitterness. All of these things, hate, jealousy, things that all of us wrestle with. We all wrestle with them. Some of us do better than others in some areas and worse than others in some areas. And, and that sin brings on darkness, man, like an army. And that darkness is still is death. It's death. And it charges at us. But Jesus is a wall. Jesus is a wall in that darkness. And so here's my question. Is that wall in your way? Is that wall a barrier that's preventing you from living your best life now? You want to, I want to send to the fullest. Get out of my way. Let me do my thing. Is that what that wall is? Or is it light? Is it, is it light? Does that wall, does that light reveal just how lost in the dark you really are? Do you see hope in him or do you just see more darkness? The Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't see him, if you don't see him, if you feel swallowed by the darkness, but you don't want to be, I can tell you how to be out of that. I can tell you what to do. Call upon the name of the Lord. What's the name of the Lord? Well, the Bible also says in Acts that there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved, referring to Christ. He is the name. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life is in him. He is the one to call out to. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Not perish, but have eternal life. One of my favorites, John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me, though he die, or excuse me, believes in me, shall never die. And then he says this, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Man, if you do, just tell him today. Just say you do. Say it. Maybe you're a believer. Look, man, maybe you're a believer like I am, and your situation is serious. Maybe you had maybe maybe it's heavy this week. Maybe it's heavy bad, and you know, and you don't feel like God's defending you or leading you. You don't feel like God's even listening to you. Remember these points I said. God leads us when the path isn't clear. God defends us when we're overwhelmed. God delivers us when hope is lost. The trick here is remembering or thinking or knowing where you are on that list. You might be in a moment of, of deliverance, but you might be wondering, why are we going this way? 
What are you going over here for? You know, or, or I don't quite understand where I'm supposed to go here, but thank you for delivering me from that. Or you may not be. You may be in a place where you, you know he's coming, but he ain't come yet. Maybe you're hearing from God so crystal clearly right now like you never have before. He's speaking right in your ear, and that's a super exciting time. It's a, it's a, it's a fun time. Remember it. Swell on it. Maybe you're covered and you're overwhelmed and you feel hopeless right now. Maybe you feel like you're cornered. Maybe you feel like, okay, I followed you, but now, now I'm cornered. The point to remember in all of this is that God does deliver. God does deliver. Never forget Exodus 14, 14. Never forget it. It's easy. 14, 14. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Just have faith. And listen, stay in his word. Follow the light. I'm going to pray. Lord, I love you so much. Thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your word uh, that you're going to pour into our hearts when we gather tonight to talk. I'm excited about the opportunity to do that. But Lord, as I unpack it this morning, it's just so heavy on me, Lord. And I, I thank you for it. I pray today if there's somebody else that's feeling it, somebody else, Lord, that, that it's, it's weighing heavy on, Lord, open their eyes. Lord, let them see the light. Let them see who you are if they don't know you. Let the cross become something that is making them feel the weight of the darkness in their life. And Lord, let them call on your name. God, I pray for my uh, our life, for our situations, the things that are going on here, not just with me, but with our church, just all of us, Lord. I pray that you would be a deliverer, God. That you would um, split the sea. Lord, and that you would deliver. I love you. You are amazing. I trust you. And I hope that my life and the life of our church and our friends honors and glorifies you. In Christ's name, amen.